Hello and welcome back to another week in the world of Sasta and the official Sasta podcast brought to you by the godfather of SAS, Jason Lemkin, at JasonLK on Twitter, and me, Harry Stebbings, at HStebbings on Snapchat. Now, today's show is especially close to my heart as it features probably my favourite topic in SAS. It is, of course, customer success. And when thinking about who would be the best person to chat all things customer success with, I thought, who better than Alison Pickens? Now, Alison is the VP of Customer Success and Business Operations at the Category Leaders Gainsight. You might remember we've also had Nick Mater, CEO, uh, and Anthony Canada on the show previously. Now, Alison's organization at Gainsight includes all post-sales functions also, including CSMs, support, onboarding, services, and operations. And prior to Gainsight, she started her career in management consulting for Fortune 500 companies while at Boston Consulting Group, and later worked in private equity investing at Bain Capital. Alison decided though that she couldn't pass up the opportunity to work at Gainsight when Bain Capital led the Series B. And today's show is slightly different. I think my excitement slightly got in the way and we skip all the traditional background questions and deep dive straight into all things customer success. So without further ado, enough from me and I'm delighted to hand over to Alison Pickens at Gainsight. Good, that's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Alison, it's such a pleasure to have you on the official SASTA podcast. I've got to admit, I really am super, super excited for this one. More than others, I shouldn't admit that. But anyway, welcome <laughs> to the show. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. A pleasure to be here. Thanks, Harry. Now, I would like to start today with three kind of discernible chunks and discuss one, uh, managing customer churn, two, building out the team itself, and then three, segmenting your customer base. So let's start with uh, managing customer churn. And I think first and most important is to assess whether it's regrettable or non-regrettable. So how do you approach this balance? Yeah, great question. Um, I think the default should be that every churn is regrettable. Um, it's far too common for companies to convince themselves that actually a particular turn didn't matter so much, either because, well, it wasn't our target segment or, well, that wasn't really the product that we're focused on. Actually, they had a product that we don't really sell anymore, so it doesn't matter all that much. And I think it's those types of excuses that prevent companies from really driving up their renewal rates and um, generating a great customer success program. That being said, whenever a turn happens, it's extremely important to conduct a very rigorous root cause analysis that should start with a very in-depth conversation with the customer that a senior leader in your customer success organization should be a part of and should include um, as well an analysis of all the data at your disposal over the course of the customer's life cycle, starting from even the pre-sales process as to you know, how they became a customer in the first place. And the root cause analysis should end with a set of action items that not just the customer success team, but other departments at a company should have um, in order to ensure that they're doing their part to contribute to the customer experience. Mm-hmm. And so how do you actually identify whether they've churned? Are there any in particular metrics you deep dive on or processes that you'll look at in particular? Yeah, um, at Gainsight and among many of our customers, we tend to track about eight different categories of risk in customer relationships. Um, and I'll name a few of them. They include ones that are probably pretty intuitive, like adoption risk. If the customer is not using your product, chances are that's a sign that something's wrong. Um, sentiment risk, which could be reflected in an NPS rating. If the customer recently submitted a detractor NPS, clearly that's a problem. Um, But there are other risk categories as well that often go um, unmonitored. Those include product risk. 
if the customer has requested some sort of product enhancement without which they can't get value from your product, um, surely that's a sign that they're at risk. And arguably, the product team should be thinking through whether this is a customer, um, especially most likely, yes, if it's a larger one, whether this is a customer that um, we should support in terms of um, incorporating their suggestions into our uh, product roadmap. Um, another category of risk would include implementation risk. If the customer's onboarding process is off track, um, if they're not in line to achieve certain time to value metrics that you've laid out, um, certainly that's another form of risk. So um, what we encourage every company to do is to identify what are their key risk categories, what are the types of issues that they see most often in their customers, and then for each one, create a very thorough process for monitoring um, that data and um, you know whether whether that be in the form of objective data, numerical data that you track in a system. And, and in addition to that, CSMs should be monitoring cues that that might come up in conversation to see whether those risk categories are apparent. And say the worst comes to the worst, which never happens at Gainsight, obviously, because the product is so good and the customer success team is obviously brilliant. But say they do. Is there a blame game that ensues in, in these situations? And how do you kind of instill ramifications which um, without instilling fear, though? It's a great question. Um, we always think it's very important not to make a judgment until you have all the information at your disposal and the default assumption should be that it's not the CSM's fault um, that the customer is in a bad situation. Um, there are lots of factors that contribute to whether the customer has a bad experience. And some of those factors are not completely within the c- control of a CSM. For example, uh, for the example I provided earlier, if the customer needs a certain product enhancement and they can't get value without it, it's not the CSM's fault that that product feature doesn't exist. Now, we expect our CSMs to work collaboratively with the product team to incorporate those suggestions into the roadmap, especially for our most strategic customers. But it'd be hard to cast all the blame on the CSM if that's the main reason why a customer is at risk um, or has churned. So um, this is actually one of the reasons why root cause analysis is so important because you know genuinely you want to get to the, the main cause of the problem so that you can ensure that it doesn't happen again. And if you know if after thorough analysis it turns out actually that the CSM should have done certain things that um, they didn't do, um, for sure that's a coaching opportunity. And if the customer's not actually getting the, the fulfilled um, ability out of the product that they would like to, and it's, it is there and they just need to know how to unlock it, potentially it's the on- onboarding process or the educational element, to what extent is that uh, content production and educational content the responsibility of customer success managers? Is that their role? I do think it's the responsibility of the customer success organization. By that term, I mean all post-sales functions. At Gainsight, my organization consists not just of CSMs, but also support services, operations. And um, actually, we've renamed those departments um, to onboarding technical success and operations. And But in any case, um, it's the job of that organization to provide all sorts of, to do all sorts of activities that contribute to a client experience. And materials are you know, a, t- a type of lever that you can pull in order to create a better client experience. In fact, um, it makes sense to uh, assign the responsibility of content creation to the customer success organization because it provides them with a way to avoid hiring more people, which allows you to scale more effectively. Now, at the same time, um, there's a category of documentation that probably should be created by the product organization, given that they are um, most likely 
within um, companies, you know, the, the, you know, they should be the biggest experts on the product. Um, and even if a product organization is not creating all content, much of content is created by the customer success organization, probably the product team should play a role in vetting that content to ensure that the customer success organization is using the right terminology and, um, and screenshots for your product. So, so now you've completely convinced me on the uh, power of customer success teams uh, as a whole. Uh, I want to start building uh, my own customer success team. So let's talk about this. And with customer success being a new category, it's obviously an aspect that a lot of founders are addressing at this time, actually. I, I get a lot of emails about it. Um, so let's start with the obvious. When do you need a customer success team as a startup? Is there a traditional transition point where it becomes necessary? I think the first thing to keep in mind is that when you're a startup founder, uh, even if, if you're working by yourself, part of your job is customer success. And it's going to be a big part of your job, especially as you uh, start to dig into your product to make sure that it's adopted well by customers. Um, you or your head of product, if you've hired one, your first product manager, should be spending a lot of their time on the phone with customers, understanding the value that you've provided and creating a very tight feedback loop between customers and your product organization so that you can continue to evolve your product. Um, I think after that, the goal should be to create awesome advocates from your customers so that you can grow as quickly as possible. For small companies, it's really critical to develop those initial case studies so that you can sell the value um, quite easily to new customers after that. Many companies are actually hiring their first customer success manager as one of their first initial individual contributors that they hire. And I think there's, there's a very compelling rationale for that. You know, often we see early stage companies at that stage, once they've got a, a several customer facing people, they might hire one customer facing leader um, who can oversee, you know, several CSMs, several salespeople. And, um, you know, once you reach a certain size, you probably don't want to have more than six or seven direct reports per manager. So it makes sense to hire, um, you know, specifically a customer success ex executive and specifically a, a sales executive. Now, this is a hard question, but I have to ask it. You've seen, obviously, a, a wide variety of customer success applicants for jobs at Gainsight, I'm sure, uh, and in the industry just in general. So if you were hiring a, a your first CS person, what would it look like in terms of characteristics? What are the kind of innate traits that suggest a born CS expert? Mm -hmm. um, I think probably the person that you're hiring early on will have a different skill set um, than the person that you're hiring in a later stage of your company. Early on, um, it's, it's very important for customer-facing folks to have a very diverse skill set because they're going to have to do a lot of different activities that span onboarding new customers, completing a renewal, driving adoption, doing training, working with your product team on specs to ensure that UI concerns voiced by your customers are addressed. So it's got to be a jack-of-all-trades type person. Um, also, this person has got to be able to learn very quickly in an ambiguous environment and create structure from ambiguity. Um, this isn't the kind of person that you're going to you know, have, probably have a lot of time to supervise. And, you know, given the likelihood that you're creating a new category uh, of software or, you know, a product like yours hasn't existed before, there's probably going to be a lot to figure out, uh, which is one of the reasons why you're going to want to have um, a really smart person. Uh, there's actually a, a great article that's been written called The Sales Learning Curve, which describes um, a similar type of sales representative that early stage companies should hire. 
which I believe is called the Renaissance rep. And I like to think that in customer success, there's also a type of Renaissance customer success manager that you should hire in the early stages. And you mentioned the structure there. Uh, I'm intrigued. Where in the organization should the team itself sit? So given the importance of customer success, um, including in the early stages, but in later stages as well, it's very important for a customer success oriented person to report to the CEO. Um, So once you start to flesh out your executive team as a founder, you should have a head of customer success. And in terms of kind of the playbook for rolling out that team, moving from the initial hire that we spoke of there, how do we roll out the team to actual several individuals with a CSM controlling the, the troop? I think the key question is at what point do you want to specialize that unicorn CSM, that jack of all trades into separate roles? In the early stages, we start to see companies do two things. One of them is once they've reached maybe about four or five CSMs, it might make sense to specialize out a role for onboarding specifically. Onboarding often has a different workflow from the type of workflow involved in working with customers post-onboarding. Therefore, there's a lot of efficiency gained by specializing out that role. And you can learn a lot by having one person doubling down on figuring out how to create an awesome onboarding experience. We also see companies in those early stages um, starting to specialize out the role of ops, customer success operations, which um, tends to involve a number of things. One of them, analyzing a lot of the data that you started to accumulate on your customers, especially as you've gotten larger, to understand what are the issues that we tend to encounter, what are the patterns, and how can we really optimize how we do things as a customer success team. Um, Also, this role is responsible for figuring out how to scale up the activities of the other individual contributors on the team, whether through better processes to ensure consistency or what we call one-to-many outreaches, which uh, typically involve like email automation or um, other types of online activities, um, online content, online training. And talking of the segmentation within there between like ops and then with the CSM, how do, how do we account in terms of levels of seniority within the team? What does the hierarchy look like within the CS culture? Yeah, I think as you start to get larger, you're going to want to define a career path for your CSMs that spans probably something like four levels over time, ranging from entry level to very senior Typically, we see companies assign much more senior CSMs to strategic accounts um, and more junior CSMs to SMBs. Um, But actually, I think you'll sometimes see some overlap in terms of where you'll assign senior people because just because a customer is an SMB and not paying you as much doesn't mean that uh, managing a, a large volume of SMB customers is an easy activity. Actually, in some ways, it can be harder because you have to be the type of person who can identify patterns and create scalable processes very quickly. I want to dive into a quick fire round called the 60 Second Sasta. Now, normally I produce these questions, but these were very kindly produced by uh, by Nick Mater, uh, your CEO at Gainsight. So we have Nick to thank for these. So if there's any challenging ones, you know where to, where to thank. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, so what surprises you most about customer success now versus a year ago? I'm surprised by how quickly customer success has been adopted by industries outside of SaaS. We always knew that there would be a really strong opportunity um, to build customer success teams in non-tech organizations because, generally speaking, um, companies are you know moving toward less away from transactional models and toward more ongoing relationships with their customers, which 
precipitates the need for a customer success team. Um, at the same time, customer success is broadly thought of as being a SaaS term. Um, so, so I've been pleasantly surprised to see how quickly the concept has been adopted in other industries. I think one of the main reasons for that is that every company is becoming a tech company. Um, if you're in the healthcare industry, if you're in the industrial industry, chances are you have a software division that's helping the rest of your organization operate more effectively, especially with the rise of the Internet of Things or the Internet of Everything. Um, I think we're going to see uh, customer success teams multiply in number. Awesome. Importance of fast iterating teams. Super important. We have a, a strong value within our customer success organization that we need to innovate very quickly. There's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is somewhat unique to Gainsight. Because we're uh, a customer success company, we have an imperative to be uh, thought leaders in it. And that means we have to stay ahead of our customers in terms of the processes that we roll out. So I think of my team as being an incubator for customer success practices. Um, and they've, they've had just awesome attitudes and being guinea pigs. <laughs> There's so many <laughs> scenarios. Um, but, but also, I think regardless of, of whether you're a customer success software company or not, given how important it is to transform your team over time, especially as you grow through better process, it's critical to be agile. And going back to the role of customer success operations, your ops leader can be instrumental in ensuring that the process changes that result from your ideas in order to achieve your vision are uh, well accepted by the team. And then this one's an interesting one. What element of the journey have you found the most challenging? I do think change management can be one of the most challenging parts of the journey. I, I think we've done it reasonably well at Gainsight, um, and, and I'm sure you know combination of luck and and the great team members that we've got. But um, certainly as your fast-growing company, if you're in hypergrowth like we are, you're going to have to go through a number of reorganizations, probably more than you or anyone on your team would like. Um, you're going you're to have to re-segment as you start to explore you know, new customer groups. And um, you know, the people element of this is um, extremely important, can't be overlooked. And um, you know, I try to dedicate as much time as I can to making sure that you know, the health of my team is really strong, even as we change really quickly. And then I want to finish the, the quick fire on carrying the customer success torch. What's it like and do you feel the pressure? Tough question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm excited that you, you use the term carrying the customer success torch because actually one of our values as a customer success organization at Gainsight is what we call carry the torch. That's in addition to our other three company values, which are golden rule, success for all, and childlike joy. So we take it really seriously. You know, I, I love that part of the role. I think it makes it really exciting. It's entrepreneurial. It's fun to talk with lots of other people in the industry about uh, what are their challenges and then bubble up the themes and, and share them with, with everyone else. So uh, I definitely love that role. Fantastic answer. No pressure. Um, I want to, then I want to finish today with the final topic and it's discussing the segmentation of your customer base. Um, so at what point in the company's life do you begin to segment the customers? Do you think? I think it's extremely important, even from the beginning of your company to observe differences among your customers. And over time, as you grow, you're going to start to notice clusters of customers that behave differently, whereas very early on, it might not become apparent which are the differences among your customers that are 
most important. But as you start to observe different customers, I would do a needs analysis where you identify what are the groupings of customers that share similar needs in terms of how your company across departments needs to deliver to them across sales, product, and customer success. And then at that point, it's very important to boil those clusters down to um, you know, just one attribute that you can look at to identify upfront what which cluster an account belongs to. In our case, um, after doing a needs analysis, we discovered that customer segments were mostly distinguished from each other by their organizational structure and specifically how many levels there were in the customer success organization from um, you know the the top the top layer of the head of customer success all the way down to the individual contributor level. Um, of course, when a sales team is looking at a set of accounts, it's really tough for them to know which account has what type of org structure. So we needed an ex-ante metric that we could look at to advise account executives on um, which account belonged to which segment um, and thereby segment the sales team appropriately as well as our own customer success team in line with theirs. Um, in our case, the ex-ante metric that we identified was employee count um, because if you assume a certain number of direct reports to managers, you can back into, given the number of levels in an organization, the range of employees that that organization is likely to have. And you can find you know, the number of employees in an organization relatively easily, um, for example, through LinkedIn, just by looking at the number of employees that identify with a given company. Absolutely. So that, that's the methodology I'd recommend. And then the final question for today is we mentioned earlier, and I'm too intrigued to ask it, so sorry, we mentioned earlier your own organizational structure and how you've broken up the team into different parts from onboarding to ops within Gainsight. So why did you decide to do this personally and how was that process for you doing it yourself? It was an extremely important effort that we went through. We reorganized our customer success organization early this year and um, the main goal at the beginning was we wanted to make sure that we had a unified uh, vision for the customer experience. Previously, we had had three separate post-sales functions, each with an executive. We had customer success, support, and services. We felt it was extremely critical to uh, combine those functions under the umbrella of customer success as a concept, uh, not just as a function. And from there, we quickly discovered that actually there wasn't enough clarity internally about what each function exactly was responsible for. That clarity can sometimes manifest itself, or that lack of clarity can sometimes manifest itself in a lack of clarity for the customer about who to go to for what. We also noticed that there were some um, gaps between functions and that there were some overlap between functions. So we decided to undergo a process of defining in, in excruciating detail um, the charter across the customer success organization and, and the charter for each individual function within it. And um, you can check out my blog post on that topic um, on the Gainsight website if you'd like to learn more. Which I will include in the show notes. But I have to say, Alison, I, as I said, I was so excited for this one, being a massive CS uh, fan and SUNY converted nerd myself. Um, so thank you so much for coming on the show. It really was a, such a pleasure to chat to you today. Thanks so much for having me, Harry. This was fun. And I would like to give a huge hand to Alison for giving up her time today for coming on the show. Really was incredible to hear the inner workings of her incredible operation at Gainsight. And I would also like to say a special thank you to Nick Mater, CEO at Gainsight, for making the introduction to Alison today. It really was fantastic. And if you would like to see more things from Sasta, then you can follow me on Snapchat at hstebbings with two Bs, or you can follow the main man Jason Lemkin on Twitter at JasonLK, or even head over to the home of Sasta on sasta.com. That's 
S-A-A-S-T-R.com. As always, we're so grateful for all your support and look very forward to bringing you the next episode on Friday.